Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Good morning, guys. Welcome again to City Church. My name is Maddie. Can we give it up for the worship team one more time? Because they had to pivot some stuff and they absolutely crushed that set. Digging that second song. We need to play that more often. Anyway, guys, just want to say thank you so much for being here. I know it's Fourth of July weekend. I recognize you could all be out partying and celebrating and vacationing. So just super duper appreciate you giving some of your weekend to be here. Super grateful for this opportunity. I'm really pumped for what we're digging into today. We're going to be continuing on in our current series in Nehemiah today, focusing on chapter 5. So for those of you that do have one of those Bible journals, feel free to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. We've been using those as kind of a reference and a tool throughout this series. It's been super helpful for me, so I hope um, you've been getting some good use out of them as well. So for those of you that were here last week, we got to hear from Billy in chapter two. Super good, he crushed it. Um, If you missed last week or any of the messages in this series, you can go back and catch them on our websites or listen on our podcast. Um, It's been an incredible series so far. Um, The book of Nehemiah is just so jam-packed with material. There's a lot to learn from his story. And so, so far in our series, we've been focusing a lot on this idea of purpose and calling and vision. It's kind of what Nehemiah is all about. God gave this man a vision, and we get to learn from Nehemiah's story how he followed this calling that God put on his heart. We get to see every challenge that he faced and how he overcame them. We see God come through for him over and over again, and we get to learn what it looks like to pursue vision and pursue change for the things that burden our heart. Two weeks ago, we got to hear from Isaac on chapter four, also phenomenal. He talked a little bit about how what he was teaching on was actually a big growing area for himself as a type nine on the Enneagram, type nines being the peacemakers, how he doesn't deal typically super well with conflict, conflict being something he tries to avoid. And chapter four is literally all about how Nehemiah dealt with conflict, with opposition. And now, this week, I, a type two on the Enneagram, get to talk about something that I struggle with. So um, for those of you that are not familiar, by the way, the Enneagram is simply a personality typology that we use pretty frequently here at City Church, um, just as a tool throughout our leadership development. Highly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. But anyway, those of you that are familiar, you may know that the greatest weakness or struggle of the type two is pride. Each type has one thing that they tend to struggle with the most. Ian Morgan Cron, in his book, The Road Back to You, um, he calls it our deadly sin. In other words, the one thing that each type will pretty much always struggle with. And so mine being pride, it's only fitting that what God would have me teaching on today is humility. So um, it's been a journey, to put it mildly, these last few weeks, just getting ready for today. But it's also been truly incredible um, just working through this material, both learning from Nehemiah's story and just all that God has taught me about godly humility these past few weeks. So I'm super excited to share with you guys today. I hope this will be helpful for you like it has been for me. So the first couple of weeks in this series, we focused on identifying what God could be calling us to, 
discovering our purpose and identity in him. We got to learn from Nehemiah about dealing with conflict in opposition to our calling. And today, we're gonna learn the role that humility has to play in pursuing that vision. Nehemiah, while not perfect, was an extremely humble man. And um, that humility, I believe, is what allowed him to get out of his own way and let God move and work and use him to accomplish his purposes for Nehemiah, just like he wants to do for you and for me. So quick recap on Nehemiah's story just to get us started. So far, we've learned that God gave a man named Nehemiah a burden for the city of Jerusalem. That burden transformed into a vision specifically to rebuild the city's walls. And if you remember from Drake's message a few weeks ago, a vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. And so from there, Nehemiah faced a long process of praying and planning. Finally, he gets to Jerusalem where he is now facing opposition and challenges to his vision. And so we're gonna use chapter five of Nehemiah as kind of our backbone today. We're not gonna walk verse by verse um, through this chapter, but there is a lot that we can learn from chapter five. So I do highly recommend digging into it yourself, but just for the sake of our time today, we'll jump around just a little bit. So the title of this chapter is Nehemiah Defends the Oppressed. The chapter begins with Nehemiah hearing the complaints of the people of Jerusalem. Unlike in chapter four a few weeks ago, this time the complaints are not against him, uh, but are against the town's officials and nobles and religious uh, leaders. They've been taking advantage of their citizens, charging them huge amounts of interest on loans so the citizens can't afford to eat, pay their mortgages, um, they're actually having to sell their children into slavery just to make enough money to live. And in verse six, we see Nehemiah's first response. He says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. And after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. So we see that the people of Jerusalem are being taken advantage of by their own government. We see Nehemiah's anger and his decision to stand up for these citizens. But what happens next is so interesting to me. Nehemiah basically spends the second half of this chapter talking about how awesome he is. Seriously. He calls these guys out, they listen and agree to stop what they're doing and even pay back what they took. And then verses 14 through 19 is Nehemiah listing all of these great things that he's done. He talks about devoting himself to the rebuilding of the wall. He didn't ask for anything even though he could have. He was allowed an allowance of food and wine and never cashed it in. To finish things off, he says in verse 19, remember, oh my God, all that I've done for these people and bless me for it. I'll be honest with you guys, the first time I read this, I was like, man, this guy is full of himself, right? Like, good for him for standing up for the citizens, for sure, but why did he need to go on for five verses just talking about all this other cool, generous stuff that he did? Like, who cares? I couldn't really figure it out. But after digging more into Nehemiah's story and learning from Jesus on godly humility, I began to learn that my definition of humility was pretty flawed, and that Nehemiah is actually one of the most humble characters in the Bible. And so before I dive into why and what we can learn about humility from Nehemiah in this chapter, I wanna share a good definition I found on humility with you. You might have heard this one before, um, but I do think it really is the most accurate description of godly humility, and we'll use this as a reference for the rest of our time today. So it's from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. It says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so for me, somewhere along the way, 
I got the idea that humility had to mean that you think you are less than. For so long, I had humility confused with insecurity, and that's not what we learn from Jesus at all. It's why Nehemiah can rant about how awesome he is and still be humble. And so something I wanna make so clear right out of the gate today, guys, is that as we talk about humility, while it does mean thinking of ourselves less, it also means that you are gifted and a gift and operating in everything that we do from that understanding. God says be humble, but he also says you are his masterpiece. He also says that you were created in his image. He says that you were unique and gifted and he wants to use you. So I want you to remember that as we walk through this chapter today. So I'd like to read a chunk of just this passage that we're talking about here, just to kind of show you the things that Nehemiah was seemingly bragging about and his reasons for doing so. I use that word bragging. I know that doesn't sound good, and ultimately that's not what he's doing here, but it's the only word I can think of to really describe what's happening here, and you'll see what I mean. Anyway, we'll read this, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. So starting here in verse 14. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. He goes on to say, even their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land and I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. Okay, real quick, I wanna emphasize that Nehemiah hosted over 150 people in his home at a time. I love hosting, and that sounds like a nightmare. So many dishes, right? My goodness. Anyway, the verse I want us to pay attention to here is verse 15. Nehemiah states that his reason for doing the things he did or not doing the things he shouldn't have was because he feared God. And this is so important, guys, to look at the context of all that he's saying here, focusing on his why. He did it all because he feared God. And so what does it mean to fear God? What do you think of when you think of someone or something that you fear? Something that could hurt you, right, physically or emotionally, something that you want to avoid, humiliation, pain, suffering. I need you to know, guys, that that is not the kind of fear that Nehemiah is talking about here. The fear of God is not like earthly fear. Rather, it's a deep reverence and understanding of who God is. It comes from a place of respect and awe. Psalm 2, verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. I don't know about you, but I don't typically pair fear with reverence and rejoicing with trembling. But that's what it means to fear God. It means acknowledging that while he is all good, he is all powerful. Understanding that he is everywhere, all at once. He has no beginning and no end, no limits, no needs. He is unlike anyone or anything. He is perfect, and that is someone to be feared by taking on a position and posture of worship and gratitude. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 that I think of when I think of fearing God. I want to share it with you. And as I read it, I want you to imagine that you are the disciples in this story. Think about how you would feel. So starting here in verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. 
The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Again, I don't know about you, but if someone came along and could literally tell a storm to stop happening, and it did, I'd be a little afraid, right? But not the kind of afraid where I'm in fear for my own safety and well-being, but in astonishment and a reverence for whoever that person was. And we see that language a lot in the Bible of people fearing God. And it's so important to understand in order to put this chapter of Nehemiah in perspective. Going back to that word bragging, after learning from verse 15, that Nehemiah's actions he's describing here were deeply rooted in his respect and love for God, we're able to see that he's not seeking any kind of approval or affirmation from these people that he's talking to. He wasn't bragging for brownie points to be impressive, to gain any kind of respect or recognition um, for himself. Rather, we learn that Nehemiah had a foundational moral authority because he knew God. Because he knew God, he loved him. Because he loved him, he obeyed him. And he treated people with kindness and generosity and love. Nehemiah was a living, breathing example of what Jesus says in John 14, 15, when he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Nehemiah loved God with all his heart. That is clear from this book. If you read it through, start to finish, there is no doubt that Nehemiah loved God. I think a lot of us read this verse in John and we tend to get a little defensive. I know I have in the past, even now. Sometimes my pride reads this and that little voice in the back of my head is saying, don't tell me what to do, (laughs) right? Um, We read this as, if you love me, you better prove it by doing what I say. But guys, if you break this verse down, we love God when we get to know him. We get to know him by spending time with him. That makes sense, right? We get to know, uh, we get to the point of loving another person when we get to know them, all their quirks, what makes them unique, their character, and we get to know them by spending time with them. When we spend time with God, we get to know God and we learn that his commandments are good. Jesus says, keep my commandments, and what commandment did he give? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, the entire law can be summed up in this one command, love God and love people. And so what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, first of all, your neighbor is the person sitting next to you. Wherever you are, whenever, the people around you are your neighbors, and so basically anyone and everyone that you come into contact with is your neighbor. And so to love everyone as yourself, when you think about it, guys, we love ourselves pretty well. Uh, We are more aware of our wants and needs and desires more than anyone else in most cases, And as creatures on this planet, we inherently seek out how to fulfill those wants, needs, and desires constantly. God knows that, which is why he didn't just say, love your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. AKA, treat others the way you want to be treated. AKA, think of others as better than yourselves. AKA, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. AKA, be humble. Pride is looking out for ourselves. Above anything or anyone, humility is looking out for others' needs above our own. We cannot love people well if we are not humble. I want to use marriage with you guys as an example for a moment. Um, For those of you that are married in the room, you might agree with me that marriage is the greatest battlefield for your pride. If you're not married yet, one day maybe you'll know what I mean, but for real, when you are in that deep of a relationship, Um, with another person, that close to another human being, you see their flaws more than anyone else will. You are literally one with this person and yet you are unique from them. You like things a certain way and odds are they have different wants, needs, and desires than you do. And guess what, guys? 
It's not all about you. (laughs) Marriage was created by God for us to experience the deepest form of love that we possibly can aside from a relationship with Jesus. It's meant to model Jesus and his church, God and the Holy Spirit, forgiveness and grace, love and trust. It was created ultimately for the glory of God. Before Seth and I got married, I had a lot of fear about my future as a wife and a future future mother. I'm not pregnant, mom, if you're watching, I just wanna make sure that's really clear. Um, But yes, I did. I had a lot of fear that I would get stuck in a role that I did not want for myself. And so to be transparent with you guys, I did not wanna be a stay-at-home mom. I admire the heck out of full-time moms. The last few years, I've come to know how honorable and sacrificial that role is, but at the time, I saw that, and I did not want that for myself. And it took me a while, but I did realize that that was my pride. Having a desire for what I wanted my life to look like, thinking only about myself and what I wanted. And what I learned and have to keep learning over and over again is that all that matters is the life God is calling me to. That I'm called to trust that God's plan for my life is infinitely better than what I think I want. And so if God calls me to be a stay-at-home mom, to raise my children and invest in them and teach them that Jesus loves them, that's what I'm gonna do. If he wants me to work full-time doing who knows what, I'll do that too. If he wants Seth and I to move to France and be missionaries, God, are you listening? I would be okay with that. (laughs) Because guys, it's not about me living my most comfortable life. It's about pursuing that vision, that purpose, that calling, whatever that may look like, as long as it's from God and not my pride and desires. And that requires humility. Guys, we see this word obey in the Bible and we get defensive because we wanna be in control of our future because we think we know what's best for us. When God says obey and submit, he means be humble and trust me because we don't always know what's best for us, but God does. And what he has for you, I promise you, is better than anything we have planned for ourselves. And so pride being my deadly sin, I do know a little bit about it. And um, what that basically means is that once God helps me to overcome pride in one area of my life, it somehow always pops up somewhere else. In new relationships, new roles and responsibilities with my family and work. As a little type two, growing up, I lived for affirmation from people usually my family or people of influence, and usually for how helpful I could be to them. My greatest goal was to be everyone's favorite person. My identity was rooted in what people thought of me. I thought that I had to earn love through acts of service for others, and I burned myself out to hold on to my worth and value, basically by never saying no to anything asked of me. It was exhausting and devastating when I thought I let someone down. And all of that was my pride. And those things still show up today. They find their way into my heart and thoughts. I can tell when my pride starts to take over too because I become a lot more insecure. I start comparing myself to others more because I'm thinking of myself more. Instead of leaning into what God says about me, it becomes all about what people think of me, which leads to people pleasing. And we can't please everyone all the time, so we hurt someone's feelings, we let someone down, and we give that the power to consume us and tear us down instead of, for example, remembering who God says that we are, dealing with conflict in a healthy way, like we got to learn from Isaac a few weeks ago. Are you guys following me here? Acknowledging that you are not perfect is humility. And getting to lean into the truth that you are fully known and fully loved by God is freeing. 
Which brings me to the discipline of confession, something we actually see Nehemiah do in the beginning of this chapter when, the, when he decides to confront these nobles and officials after hearing that they've been taking advantage of their citizens, he says in verse 10, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. He is confessing here to doing the exact thing that he got so angry about the nobles and officials doing. I think this is really important to flesh out when we're talking about humility. Think about if you were in Nehemiah's shoes. This chapter could have gone a few different ways if Nehemiah chose pride over humility in this moment. He could have listened to the complaints of the citizens and done nothing, holding himself in a position above these people and continue to follow the example of these leaders by taking advantage of the citizens of Jerusalem. He could have still gone off on the leaders but not told them that he too was guilty of the same thing to protect his own image and status, but instead, in humility, he confesses, and he helps these leaders to do the same where he is now able to lead out of that space of humility. When you think about it, guys, confession is one of the greatest acts of humility because it's admitting to someone else that you messed up, right? That you don't have it all together. It's letting someone else in on your deepest, darkest secrets, exposing yourself for the broken human being that you are. It's scary but it's also one of the most freeing, life-changing disciplines I have ever adopted. We can so easily convince ourselves that whatever we're struggling with, whatever we did, we're alone. We're the only ones. So you say it out loud, and people say, yeah, me too. You realize you're human, you're broken, and so is everyone else. Confession, I believe, is essential to our walk with Jesus, both in our own personal development and in pursuing vision. Confessing my pride to God in hard seasons has given me something to turn to, someone that I can give those thoughts and feelings to when they show up, someone that shoulders that burden with me and something I can take pride in that is worthy of my energy and time and thoughts and resources. And I share what my pride looks like with you today to show you that pride looks different for everyone. So my question for you today is where does your pride show up? Where does it show up and who are you living for? Is it in living up to your parents' expectations, impressing your family and friends, your boss, needing to be needed by your spouse, wanting to be the most helpful, the most knowledgeable, the most competent or creative? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you might have faced seasons of pride with your faith, with your spiritual gifts, which is so ironic because they're literally called gifts. They don't come from within ourselves. They are given. And yet it's so easy to fall into pride when God starts using those gifts. I know I'm guilty of it, but I wanna show you a few verses that have really helped me in those seasons. So starting here with Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Second Corinthians three eighteen, The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Hebrews twelve two, Jesus initiates and perfects our faith Finally, John 15, five, apart from him, we can do nothing. These couple of verses have been monumental in breaking down my pride. God does the work within us. The Holy Spirit makes us like him. Jesus develops our faith and we can do nothing without him. So what are you doing and who is it for? Because the truth is, guys, and this is what it's all about. Until you start living your life with and for Jesus, it will never be enough. A lesson I'm still learning, 
that what other people think of you just does not matter, and knowing and believing what Jesus says about you is all that matters. What makes Nehemiah so humble, even in the middle of him listing out all of his good deeds, is that he did it all for God. Society tells us we need to do more, be better, accomplish, achieve, create, when all that we are called to is following Jesus and the life he has called us to. Whatever that looks like. If it looks like being a CEO, great, go be a CEO and do everything every step of the way for the glory of God. If it's to be a teacher, a nurse, lawyer, engineer, whatever, for Nehemiah, it was building a wall. At the end of the day, guys, God doesn't say, well done, good and faithful leader. Well done, good and faithful innovator, scholar, influencer, entrepreneur, athlete, mother, father, spouse. What does it say? Well done, good and faithful servant. So why did Nehemiah get started with this project to begin with? Because he wanted to impress his boss, the king? He wanted to be remembered? No, it was because God put the burden on his heart in everything he did. He did prayerfully and faithfully, seeking God every step of the way. I believe there's a lot that we can learn from Nehemiah when it comes to godly humility, but as humble as he was, there was another man that came later that embodied the definition of humility, Jesus. In him, we saw a man, fully human, fully God, who chose to live the life we could never live to die the death that we deserve. Paul explains it well in Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight, he says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus had the greatest reason of anyone to be prideful. He was literally God, and yet he came to serve, not to be served, and he calls us to do the same. I've been jamming to this song recently called Simple Kingdom by Brian and Katie Torwalt. It's basically a song all about humility, how the last are first in the kingdom of God, and the love of Jesus is simple but great. I'll read you a couple of verses here because they definitely wrote it better than I could, so it goes like this. Your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. This king is a savior who gave his last breath. So we may die daily, our pride laid to rest. His kingdom is humble, and the broken are blessed. Your kingdom is backwards, it flows in reverse. What you call a treasure, this world calls a curse. The small become great, and the last become first. Your kingdom is backwards, Lord, teach us to serve. As it is in your kingdom, let it be in your church. A lot of rhyming going on there, I feel like I'm reading a Dr. Seuss story. Um, but you really should listen to the song, it'll give you chills. Um, I've had it on repeat, just really trying to embrace these words. And my favorite part is when they say, so we may die daily, our pride laid to rest. Meaning that humility is actually made possible because of what Jesus did for us. A lot of the time we think of humility as something that happens to us, like our circumstances humble us, which they definitely can, but I think it's also a discipline that can be grown and developed. Nehemiah chose to show up and serve, to not take advantage of his status, but chose to love the people of Jerusalem well with his time and resources. We can choose to die daily to ourselves because of what Jesus already did for us. We love each other because he first loved us. We forgive because he forgave us. We can have grace and mercy and patience with others because we have already received it from God. 
Just imagine a world, guys, where everyone had the attitude of Jesus. Imagine your home where everyone tried to outserve one another. Your relationships where you each gave up your preferences and desires to serve the needs of others. Imagine your workplace, our city, our world. Humility is powerful, and we have everything that we need to tap into it. Every Sunday before the service, anyone serving on a team that day gets together for a team huddle. We spend some time celebrating one another, giving shout outs to God, it's a great time, super encouraging. At the end of team huddle, we all bring our hands in and we yell, it's not about us. When I first joined the team here at City Church, I struggled with that a little bit, because I was like, it is a little bit about us, right? Um, Like we need to take care of our own too, but I was missing the point. It doesn't mean that we don't matter that we don't need community and encouragement just as much as anyone else, we definitely do. When we say that each week, it means be humble and think of others as greater than ourselves. It means we are here to serve, not to be served. Just like Jesus didn't make it about him, it's also not about us. When you look at the book of Nehemiah as a whole, when you look at any Old Testament story, really everything points to Jesus. Going back to Drake's message a few weeks ago and Billy last week, they both talked about how the end of this book, Nehemiah is kind of a downer because there's no real change in these people. All of the work that Nehemiah does doesn't pay off and the people in this story end up turning back to their pride and to living for themselves. This conversation goes back to our last series, talking about the Bible as a whole being this big story that all points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In this chapter, chapter five, these nobles and officials were living for themselves. They were living in pride, choosing their own comfort and pleasure above loving others. When you think about it, guys, it's possible that each and every one of our struggles is rooted in pride. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. They decided to rebel against God because they wanted to be like God. They wanted more, the knowledge of good and evil, and they chose themselves and their desires over loving and obeying God. That's all we do when we sin, right? We choose our desire in a moment over doing what we know is right and loving. And so what this story is ultimately pointing to is Jesus and what he did for us. That he, being God, chose to humble himself and live as a human being, a servant, to live a perfect, sinless life so that he could die the death that we deserve. And because of his love for us, he destroyed the barrier that sin created between us and God. Jesus was humble when we couldn't be. And these Old Testament stories, I believe, reveal a lot about God's character, but even more so reveals the brokenness of people so that what Jesus did for us is that much more incredible and powerful, that he came for people like this and much, much worse that we see in the Old Testament, and he died for you and for me. And now we have a choice. Jesus gives us the freedom to choose to live in a relationship with him. We're not forced, that's called abuse. We can choose to accept the salvation that Jesus made possible for us, but it takes humility because it means acknowledging our need for God. So when you make the decision to believe in and follow Jesus, that's humility. When you pray and ask Jesus for help, that's humility. It's what Peter meant in 1 Peter 5.5, when he says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He means that when we acknowledge our need for God, we freely receive God's grace by believing that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. 
And I want to make sure, guys, that you hear today's conversation. None of it should feel condemning. It's a hard topic to dig into, I know, because what we're talking about here is something that so many of us tend to struggle with one way or another. And that's because we live in a world that tells us to take pride in who we are, in our achievements. And that's not bad, except when who we are isn't rooted in a relationship with Jesus and what we do is live for ourselves and not for God. And again, I know this can sound harsh. I am hurting my own feelings just talking about this, but guys, it should be encouraging because the truth is that in humility, we can find freedom. Freedom from the pressure to perform, from the burden of constantly trying to please people, from the weight of trying to hide all of our baggage. Pride can hold us back from experiencing the life and freedom and love that God desires for us to know. And so to tie this all back to vision and pursuing the callings on our hearts, we simply cannot do what God is calling us to without humility because we will get in our own way and we aren't letting God lead. And as we learned earlier, we can do nothing without him. And so my application for you guys is simple today. Simple but weighted. Number one is to think of yourself less what it means to be humble. Literally focus this week on thinking of yourself less. And one incredible way to do that is to start by praying for others. That's number two. Start with the people in your home and pray for your family, your neighbors, coworkers, your community here at City Church. I mean, every single day, incorporate praying for others into your daily prayer time. The seasons of life that I've struggled the most with pride, thinking about myself more often than not, and in turn struggling with insecurity and jealousy is when I'm not praying for others. And so start there, and then just incorporate others' needs into what you already do. That's number three. Watch out for opportunities to serve others. For example, when you get that morning coffee, think about who you can grab another coffee for. Think about who you can invite over for dinner one night this week and serve them with a meal. At work, think about who might need a word of encouragement tomorrow and keep your eyes open for opportunities to help someone out. At home, what can you do to help out your roommate or your spouse around the house? Look out for their needs. Don't wait to be asked. Instead of focusing on what you want and serving your own desires, put others' needs above your own. And guys, I hope you know, I'm speaking to myself just as much as I am to you all right now. I'm so far from perfect here. This has been an uphill battle for me for a long time. This isn't something that you can master overnight, so don't be discouraged if you struggle with this and it's harder than you think to change your mindset, but know that these are some steps that we can take to grow towards humility and towards loving people well. And so before we uh, wrap up, I'd like to read something I read in a devotional uh, last year. It's called The Litany of Humility, written by Cardinal Raphael Mary Del Val in 1948, a litany is a form of prayer with, the, with a repeated responsive petition, basically meaning it repeats the same prayer over and over again to really drive home a point. It's really good. So as I read this, I just want to encourage you to really listen to these words. Pay attention to what resonates with you, how it makes you feel. You can close your eyes if you need to, whatever you're most comfortable with. So here we go. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of comfort and ease, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being criticized, deliver me, Jesus. 
From the fear of being passed over, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being lonely, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being hurt, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like yours. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, strengthen me with your spirit. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, teach me your ways. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, help me put my self-importance aside to learn the kind of cooperation with others that makes possible the presence of your kingdom. Amen. I don't know about you, but for me, reading that is really hard because I'm guilty of desiring just about everything on that list. Pride in ourselves is one of the hardest things to unlearn. From day one, the world drills into our mind that what matters are our achievements, success, popularity, attractiveness, but what we learn from Nehemiah in this text and throughout scripture is that Jesus is all that matters. That through a relationship with him, we can find confidence in who God has made us to be. We find joy, purpose, worth, and value. It all comes from knowing God. It's what John meant when he said he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. It's not that we don't matter, not even close. God cares for you more than you will ever know. It's that if God is who he says he is, the way we matter is when God is living and working in and through us, when we're living the life he has called us to. And to accomplish that, we have to surrender every day, pick up our cross and follow him, lay down our pride and our desires, die to ourselves. And here's the good news. Again, guys, everything listed in that prayer, Jesus died for. We are not called to be perfect, to get up every day and try really hard to be humble. No, we're called to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and then we are invited to abide in a relationship with him and learn from his humility. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you to know today that you are invited into a relationship with him exactly as you are, to be with him before anything else is what Jesus wants for you. And you can say yes today, right now. You don't have to say or do anything special, just in your own heart and mind, whenever, wherever, you can say, Jesus, I choose you. I believe in you, that you died for my sins and rose again. And then you get to watch him do the rest, in, through, and around you. I cannot tell you how far I have come since I gave my life to Jesus, the things he has done through me that I never could have done on my own, the opportunities that he's given me even when I feel I'm at my worst, and the incredible answers to prayer. He's come alongside me in my pride, has been with me with each step toward letting go and relying on him. Remember, guys, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, and that means having the attitude of Jesus, relying on him because we can do nothing without him. Humility is acknowledging our need for God so that we can get out of our own way and let Jesus do what only he can do. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for my friends in the room today, everyone watching online. Just thank you for this community. I'm constantly encouraged, God, by these people and all that you're doing here. I'm grateful to be a part of it. Jesus, I just want to ask for your help today because we acknowledge in this space that we can do nothing without you. 
So help us, God, to begin this week to think of ourselves less and to focus more on the needs of others. God, help us to see the opportunities around us to serve and love others well. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us, for being humble when we couldn't be. Thank you for your life and your sacrifice that we get to learn from your humility. Help us in our relationships, God, where we live, work, and play to lay down our pride and our desires to love others well. Pray for my friends in the room that don't know you. Jesus, they would just know today that you love them and are pursuing them and inviting them into a relationship with you. Amen.